Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever come across this question? If you were trapped on an island, what would you want to have? Well, there's a similar question that I'd like to pose. If you were to speak a single message, what would it be? What would you say? What would be the single message of your life? You see, when God came to earth, he came with a message, a message in which he spoke most frequently about. He spoke the message of the kingdom of heaven. This is the single most common thing that Jesus speaks of in all of the Bible. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven. There are lessons to be learned in this kingdom of heaven passage that we must take to heart. There are lessons to awaken us, lessons to encourage us, to focus us, and to warn us. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles or your service booklet to our gospel reading this morning, Matthew chapter 13. Let us draw our attention to verses 31 to 33 and verses 44 to verse 50. But before we dive into this text, I would like to attempt to answer the question of what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven after all? Simply put, the kingdom of heaven is the manifesting reign of Christ. That's the kingdom of heaven. Christ reigning and ruling It's the kingdom that is coming upon earth and overcoming all other kingdoms. It is the kingdom that is inconspicuous, yet immeasurably valuable and powerful. It is the kingdom that is triumphant and true. It is the kingdom that will be revealed and realized by everyone on the last day. That is the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus. And we pray, O Lord, that you will awaken. That you will encourage, that you will focus and that you will warn us. So that we might possess that invaluable and that immeasurable, immeasurably powerful and invaluable kingdom of heaven. Yes, let us find it. Let it find us. And let us find the joy of the joy of our salvation. So may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So what are the lessons to be learned from these kingdom of heaven parables? We're given four. Well, the first lesson that we learn is that we are to invest in the seemingly insignificant kingdom of heaven things, the small things. Why? Because while the kingdom of heaven may seem insignificant and trivial and even inconspicuous, it will grow. It will increase to be unequivocally the greatest and the most glorious kingdom 
of all other kingdoms. In verses 31 to 33, we see how Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to a tiny mustard seed that is in the category of the smallest of all seeds. And he likens the kingdom of heaven to inconspicuous leaven that is hidden in a lump of flour. Now, we might think that Christ would liken the kingdom of heaven to something apparently magnanimous, right? Like an ocean or a mountain range. But he likens it to one of the tiniest of seeds. He likens it to that hidden lump, that hidden leaven in a lump of flour. Why does he do this? Is it not to make his disciples heavenly minded? Is it not to awake them, to awaken them? Awaken them to the kingdom of that the kingdom of heaven may seem insignificant. It may seem small and invisible, but it will grow to be glorious and great. It will become undeniably greater and more glorious than any other kingdom. You see, not only are we to be vigilant and alert, but we are also to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what the Apostle Paul encourages the church at Ephesus to do. And this is what Christ is calling his disciples to do through this parable. You see, we must focus on the small, the hidden, and the seemingly insignificant things if we wish to answer the call of the kingdom of heaven. Have we been called? Have we heard the call? We must not just hear the call, we must obey the call. The second lesson that we learn is that the worth of the kingdom of heaven requires that we give up all that we have to acquire it. The worth of the kingdom of heaven is that we give up everything that we have that we might take hold of the kingdom of heaven. In verse 44, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to a treasure for which a man finds. We are not told that this man is searching for a treasure, are we? Yet he finds a treasure. He stumbles upon a treasure. Here we learn that the kingdom of heaven is available, and not just available, but one may stumble upon this treasure. We learn that it can be found, discovered, and possessed. We learn that it is costly, that it requires one to divest of all that he or she has to obtain it. The man who stumbled upon this treasure was not satisfied to discover this treasure of infinite value. No, the discovery of this treasure possessed his heart. It took hold of his heart. It changed and reordered his heart and entire life. And he gave up all that he had. He sold and let go of everything that was near and dear to his heart. 
Why? So that he might possess and keep this treasure. You see, finding it is not enough. We must possess it. We must be willing to sell all that we have. There's nothing that can trump this eternal and worthwhile gift. Have we stumbled upon the kingdom of heaven? Has this treasure taken possession of our hearts? Are we like the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, who despite knowing that much suffering and imprisonment lied ahead, he said that he was constrained by the Spirit and that he will go. Are we constrained by the Spirit? Are we willing to go despite the trials and tribulations that lie ahead? Yes, we must be possessed by the gift of God. It is invisible, yet of infin- it is of infinite worth. Beloved, it is the seal of the promised Spirit. If we are to have this infinite treasure, then we must walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And what is the seal of the promised Spirit? Is it not the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Is it not this? Is it not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is this not the seal of the promised Holy Spirit? Yes, it is the King of the kingdom of heaven who must rule our hearts with his spirit. It is the King of the kingdom of heaven who must give us the courage to take up our crosses and to follow this King. We walk by faith, not by sight. We trust and believe in his promise, not anything else. And so let us ready ourselves. Let us ready ourselves to give up and let go. Let us take hold of God's gift. We shall never possess it if it does not possess our hearts. Listen to what our Lord says in this parable. He says, then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy this field. It was in his joy that moved him to greatness, to possessing the greatest thing of all. We must be delighted and captivated with the good news of this gift so that we divest of all that we have to obtain it. Only then will we possess this invaluable treasure. The third lesson that we learn is that we are to esteem the things that Christ esteems and we are to abhor the things that Christ abhors. In verse 45, our Lord tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. A merchant who seeks for the finest of pearls and when he finds one, he sells all that he had to buy that one pearl. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is not only available for those who may stumble upon it, but it is available for those who truly desire it. 
Yes, we must desire the beautiful. We must despise the ugly. There were no counterfeit pearls in Jesus' day. Pearls were unequivocally valuable. And here we find this merchant in search of the finest and most beautiful pearls. And when he found one, he sells everything so that he may have that one pearl. So the message is clear. The kingdom of heaven or the citizens of the kingdom of heaven must not only find the treasure but they must also want the treasure. We must want it. And if they are to want it, they must despise anything that gets in its way. Anything that gets in the way of us having that treasure. We must despise both the man who stumbled upon the treasure in verse 44 and the merchant who searches for the treasure in verse 45 are convinced that they had found the thing of great value, aren't they? Both believe that it was worth a great sacrifice. And we are not told of their concerns, are we? We're not told if they considered how others would think of them. No, they were not concerned if others thought them to be foolish. That's not their calculus. That's not their logic. That's not their reasoning. They knew that they were getting a good deal. They believed in the promised treasure. You see, the good news of the kingdom of heaven for which Christ announced and inaugurated is not something that simply finds us or something that we simply stumble upon. Thanks be to God for that. But it's not simply that. It's something that is ready to be found. Our chances of finding it will surely increase if we truly search for it. Have we been found? And have we found the treasure of infinite worth? The fourth and the final lesson that we learn is that we are to embrace the kingdom that Christ proclaimed. Here Christ changes his focus and he offers a warning to his disciples. In verses 47 to 50, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to a dragnet that collects all that, it's in its, all that is in its path. The good fish and the bad fish. And that they will be appropriately separated at the last judgment. You see, Christ's disciples are giving, giving this, given this sobering reminder of what the goal is. Right? Why? Because things are not as they seem. We are reminded to reorient and believe in the invisible kingdom that Christ proclaimed. That's the goal. Just because people have heard the gospel does not make them recipients of the gospel. Just because people are members of the church does not make them citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
We should never be satisfied with outward appearance alone. We must seek the invisible and invaluable spirit of Christ. We must remember the Lord for whom we claim to follow. We must have his mind in us, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equal with God. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, we may be inside the net, church, and not know the treasure of Christ's spirit. How sobering is it to know that the church contains within its members truth and falsehood. We must not be content and preoccupied with the visible, but must press on toward the upward call of the invisible and invaluable treasures of God. There will be a separation that will take place. Eventually, those who believe and those who do not will be exposed. Christ is clear that it will be at the close of the age when God's angels will separate those who are evil from those who are righteous. But we must not presume that this is our task to do. No, we are told that it is the heavenly hosts who will do this work. We must not attempt to separate the good fish from the bad fish. But we must do one thing. We must give witness of the gospel. With our words and our deeds, we must lovingly correct and call each other to Christ. It's like our Lord. We must say, believe and repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is coming upon us. It is overcoming. It is growing. It is increasing. Let us repent and believe. How else will we ever stumble upon that treasure? How else will we esteem what Christ esteems and abhor what Christ abhors? How else will we focus on the seemingly insignificant and inconspicuous heavenly things that will prove to be greater than all other kingdoms? We must make much of the mind of Christ in his kingdom. We must make much of walking in the spirit. We cannot read hearts and we must not pass judgment as if we can. We cannot cast the wicked into the fiery furnace. And even if we could read hearts, we should not do that. That is reserved for our Lord. But what we can do and what we should do is what the wise King Solomon instructs us to do. We should heap burning coals of fire on their heads through acts of grace and mercy. May we not just have the appearance of godliness, church, and deny its power. No. May we have the spirit 
of Christ. May we have and walk in the power of the Spirit. May we believe in the Father's promises for His children who are in Christ Jesus. This is the power that the godly cannot deny. And this is the power that the world will come to realize. For the Apostle Paul writes to Bishop Timothy that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul says to avoid them. Church, let us avoid such godless poverty. It's not good enough to be members of the visible church. We must be citizens of the invisible kingdom of heaven. Let us treasure the immeasurable worth of God's kingdom. Let us treasure the kingdom that finds us. Let us treasure the kingdom that is found. Let us treasure the kingdom that requires much of us. And let us treasure the kingdom that is seemingly insignificant at the present, but will be undeniably great and glorious in the end. Amen.